Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME-CE credit. Phil P. is a 68-year-old male with hypertension and diabetes. He developed fever and a cough about five days ago and calls the office very worried. He wants to come in and get tested. He is unsure if he should take his lisinopril because of what he's heard on the news. What can you tell him today? Hi, this is Frank Domino on day seven of home quarantine following exposure to Phil, who is now in the ICU on a ventilator. Today we're going to run a short question and answer session on what's the best evidence on dealing with questions patients have about the coronavirus. Who is at greatest risk of severe disease? So those at greatest risk appear to be people with a variety of conditions. We know this primarily from the data out of China. It found that of 173 people who were severely ill due to the coronavirus, most had comorbidities of hypertension and diabetes. Believe it or not, hypertension was the strongest risk factor identified. Heart disease and cerebrovascular disease were also identified as risk factors, but again, these were relatively low. Also from the Chinese data, we know that 80% of people have mild or no symptoms at all after infection. 14% of those infected will go on to develop what's considered severe disease, and a small subset of them will go on to develop a serious pneumonia or shortness of breath. 5% of people who get the illness will develop severe respiratory failure or septic shock, and about 2% of those with confirmed cases of coronavirus will go on to die. Should I take my ACE inhibitor? I hear it can make the virus more dangerous or switch to Lasartan, which I hear may protect me. It has been shown that COVID-19 Um, uses the SARS-CoV receptor, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, for its entry into cells. In animal experiments, lisinopril and losartan significantly increase the expression of angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 on cardiac tissue. This has become an issue because in early March, a letter was written in The Lancet suggesting that patients with cardiac disease, hypertension, or diabetes who are being treated with angiotensin-converting enzyme agents are at higher risk for developing severe COVID-19 infection and therefore should be monitored for increased severe infections. There is no data that shows taking these agents actually makes an adverse risk in patients, but it does raise some concerns. For your patients who are very concerned, consider switching them to something like a calcium channel blocker until this pandemic has resolved. I take ibuprofen every day for my arthritis. Will it make the infection worse? The question about non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents is interesting. A little history. On March 17th, the French health minister 
submitted a tweet stating that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents such as ibuprofen could worsen the course of patients infected with COVID-19. This opinion was based in part on a recent letter to Lancet that hypothesized that NSAIDs could increase or upregulate the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 receptors in patients with hypertension and diabetes. And we know that patients with severe respiratory syndromes associated with coronavirus, such as the SARS outbreak, bind through the angiotensin-converting 2 enzyme receptor. These receptors are located throughout the body and in particular in the heart and lungs. A few days after this tweet, the World Health Organization responded by saying they do not recommend against the use of ibuprofen for patients taking it for chronic conditions and or for fever, stating, quote, there is currently no scientific evidence establishing a link between ibuprofen and worsening of COVID-19, end quote. So what should we tell patients? If they're ill and they have a fever, acetaminophen, 1,000 milligrams four times a day or less if they have liver disease, should be first-line agents. If the fever persists and is severe, patients could consider adding a short-acting non-steroidal anti-inflammatory to the acetaminophen, like ibuprofen 200 milligrams at the same time as the acetaminophen four times a day. Patients are coming for that malaria drug, chloroquine, or the HIV drug, Coletra, which is lopinavir and ritinavir. Uh, should I prescribe these? Chloroquine phosphate is an older drug that's used for the treatment of malaria. In data from China, it's been shown to have some efficacy and acceptable safety ratings against COVID-19 when COVID-19 expresses itself as a pneumonia. Again, this was only demonstrated from data from one trial in China. Hydroxychloroquine is also used in the U.S. for autoimmune disorders like lupus and SLE. Some have theorized that these agents should be used here, and some primary care folks have already started prescribing it. An additional small study of about 50 people looked at the combination of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin versus hydroxychloroquine alone and was published in an online, non-peer-reviewed setting. Its outcomes are highly open to bias, and I would not consider using any of these combinations in our settings. What should we do? Well, we should not prescribe these unless you're taking care of a severely ill patient in the hospital. I would leave it to our infectious disease uh, consults to decide who needs these drugs. There has been rampant outpatient prescribing of chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, and this is dramatically depleting supplies hospitals need. So my bottom line here is please do not prescribe these drugs unless you're in the proper setting with the proper infectious disease support. What about Coletra? Well, there was one paper published in the New England Journal of Medicine of 199 patients, again from China. This was an open-label, randomized controlled trial. And they found that patients who had severe infections with COVID-19 found no benefit from this combination antiviral versus placebo. Again, there, this drug may be used in hospitalized settings by infectious disease experts, but should not be prescribed by those of us in primary care unless we're handling critically ill patients in hospitalized settings.
Should I be using PPE for any contact with someone who has a fever with SOB or cough? Yes. Do the best you can. Cover your head. Wear a mask, even if it's not an N95 mask. Have some face and nose protection. Wear gloves and a gown and take them off carefully. Then wash your hands and keep people at home. If they call the office, encourage them to stay home and not come in. If people do show up in your office, please have them wait in their cars, not in your waiting rooms, and call them by cell phone to discuss what to do and if they need to be seen, even if they're coming in for issues not related to COVID-19. This will protect them as well as protect you. When will there be a blood test? So we are still unsure when there's going to be a serum blood test to help figure this condition out. An international team recently published a paper that demonstrated an assay that could be sensitive and specific enough to tell us within three days of symptom onset if a patient has COVID-19. This test is not readily available and is probably going to remain in experimental settings at large tertiary care centers over the next few weeks. But hopefully by the end of spring, we will be able to diagnose this condition using a blood sample. Who do I test and how do I get them tested? Well, the CDC has been very clear on this. Only test those who have a fever and a cough, not patients who do not have a fever, not people with runny nose, and not people who've been exposed or have just general anxiety. To figure out where to get them tested, coordinate with your local hospital or testing facility. And just as a reminder, the flu is still around and spring has come. The fact that spring is still here, we are now seeing uh, lots of trees starting to bloom and early flowers starting to sprout up through the soil. Remind people to take their allergy medicines before they get worried that they have COVID-19, as allergies are going to be far more common as spring comes on than a severe infection with COVID-19. How do I explain this to patients who are anxious? I have heard the phrase, anxiety kills, far too often in my career as a physician. Anxiety around COVID-19 illness is scaring us all. Please remind patients that the vast majority, 80% of people who become infected have little or no symptoms. And those who are at highest risk for going on to develop pneumonia and severe illness are those with hypertension and diabetes. How do we prevent the spread? Well, remind folks about social distancing. I heard this great analogy I'd like to share. Think of lightning hitting a tree in the middle of a forest and that tree catching fire. Right now, just that tree is on fire, but we know from the history of forest fires that this can spread exponentially. The tree next to it and then the trees next to each of those begin to spread. How do you prevent a forest fire from running rampant through the forest? Is you build a fire break. You cut trees down on the external parts of the fire, trying to prevent it spreading. That's what we're doing with social distancing. We're trying to keep the fire from spreading so that both our healthcare facilities and workers are not overrun and that we don't increase the risk of death from this infection. I would like to thank Dr. John Bachman for this fantastic analogy and remind you all that most patients are going to be fine even when they get infected.
Is there any risk that, as a provider, I can bring this home to my family? When can my kids safely see their grandparents again? Yes, we are at greater risk than the general population for acquiring this infection. But if we're healthy and not having a history of hypertension or diabetes, hopefully our risk for severe infection will be small. And even if we have those conditions, again, across the board, 80% of people who become infected have mild or no symptoms. Nonetheless, we, like our patients, all need to practice social distancing. Keep home whenever you can. Learn to use telemedicine, which is really quite simple and possibly even billable. And wash your hands often. Concerning your, your kids seeing their grandparents, well, no one really knows. We're hoping that by the end of spring and early summer, this infection will have uh, burnt itself out. That probably means that once more than 50% of the population has immunity to this infection, herd immunity will protect the rest of the population. Could it resurge sometime in the fall or next winter? Possibly, but possibly not. And most likely that'll be the case. For now, Engage your kids as best you can at home. Try to limit their screen time. Read real books. Video conference in with the grandparents for them to see each other and feel less stressed. And let's hope that the next time we chat, I have more good news about this infection. Special thanks this session to Sylvia Pariza for helping me with recording. This podcast is dedicated to Phil P. Join us next time when we do an update on the coronavirus and its implications for you and your patients. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.